Hey, Gary, how's it going? Doing well, Leo. How are you doing? Good, good. So what were your thoughts from WWDC? Boy, there's so much. I think like a lot of people, just my immediate reaction was the Swift UI. I didn't hear rumors. I mean, I heard maybe I heard something about, you know, declarative framework, but I didn't expect that in sort of the what seems to be the eventual abandonment of storyboards. So yeah, that was the biggest shock to me. We had some rumors about like declarative programming. I think Gruber had talked about that, but people were just kind of like not making as big of a deal about it because I think everybody was like marzipan, 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 right? And then right. like now it's like Project Catalyst is kind of an afterthought. It's like, holy crap, they're replacing the entire UI framework. Right. UI kit, I think it's still vibrant. I don't think it's dead by any means because they've made some major improvements, it looks like, to the way table views and even more so collection views are done, but you can kind of see the writings on the wall. The writings on the wall, exactly. Yeah, it's like Swift. It's like Swift four years or uh, Exactly. It's like, yeah, I mean, Objective-C is going to be here for a while. It's going to be forever, quite frankly, but like, it's called Swift UI. It's not called Objective-C UI for a specific reason. Right, and obviously companies have existing code bases and if you were just starting out today, I still don't think I'd dive into Swift UI yet. You know, companies are going to need to support their existing projects for years. As somebody who's been playing around with it for two weeks, yeah, don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't suggest uh, jumping into it right now. Yeah, and it's still in beta, so keep that in mind as well. Very much so. Yeah, it was a big year. It's probably the biggest WWDC since Swift was introduced. We can safely say. I haven't gotten through all the talks. There's a GitHub repo that I found or came across that kind of lists bullet points of the talks just so you don't have to invest the full 40 minutes. You can kind of just see if it's what, if it's what you're interested in. So I've been going through that and just I've been starting with obviously the ones that are most near and dear to me, like the watch kit, the health kit. But yeah, it seems like there's a lot to unpack. The combine is another thing, the, the foundation API. I didn't have a chance to watch that one yet either. And just like you said, the Swift UI, there's, I think five or six talks just on that, you know, and integration and stuff like that. Yeah, post the link to that GitHub repo. That'd be great to share. I will. There's a GitHub repo that had a list of Swift UI uh, blog posts and tutorials. I mean, I know folks like Ray Wunderlich and Paul Hudson already have like books right. they're pre-selling on it. <laughs> but uh, there's some really great like tutorials out there too that we can post those links in the notes. Okay. Hey, I wanted to let you know that Empower App Show is looking for sponsors and patrons. Our audience is growing, and we'd love to showcase you, your company, and your product on our show. If you want to be a patron, you can find us at patreon.com slash empowerapps.show. Or if you want to be a sponsor, reach out to me personally at leo at brightdigit.com. Your support is greatly appreciated, and we look forward to showcasing your business and product on our show. One thing I wanted to talk about was uh, that I think as two male developers we don't appreciate is like this new uh, cycle tracking feature. I think that's that's a big deal to a lot of folks, especially women, because I know like my wife and I, just to get personal, we dealt with infertility for about five years and uh, we had like these stickers and like a buying like a whole a whole kit to track this stuff. And it was a pain in the neck. And then my wife, you know, who's probably not as techy as I am, but pretty techy, uh, found this really great app. 
and she used it for a while. And then we had found that uh, the app <laughs> ended up getting taken down because of it was using the system with the same name, and they didn't like that. So the the, the folks who um, have that tracking system ended up giving them like a takedown notice and really sucked. So uh, it's really good that Apple has kind of like jumped in and kickstarted this stuff because I think it's going to help a lot of people, not just, you know, infertility, but for a variety of reasons or health reasons that women have. It's that classic, you know, Apple Sherlocking someone, right? And it sucks if you're the developer, but usually as when Apple chooses to take something into their space, it usually benefits you know, obviously us, the consumers. So, yeah, like I think with a lot of Sherlocking stuff, it's inevitable. Like anybody who builds a business around an app should understand like Apple could always Sherlock it. It's about making yourself valuable enough that folks who are really into it, like they're going to download one of your great workout apps or they're going to download one of Dave Smith's workout apps or something like that because it takes it to the next level. Whereas like Apple stuff is quite frankly free. And I think it also just gives some guidance to developers like, Oh, that's pretty cool. You can do this and build on top of it. It's finding a niche that, you know, in the space that like, just for example, like one of my apps, hockey tracker, I mean, conceivably Apple could have a, some sort of a custom hockey tracking part of their workout app. But I mean, my thought is mine goes down to the level that it like tracks shifts during a hockey game. So like, you know, it knows whether you're on the bench or whether you're on the ice and then puts that number, puts tells you how many shifts you had and what, you know, what the lengths were and things like that. It's kind of that level of detail that you think might be too, too zoomed in for an Apple app, which knock on wood makes me think that I'm safe with that app. But, um, I know what you're saying. And the other one, too, isn't at some point, I think they're taking on sleep tracking. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely down the line. Either they're going to, what do they call it, Equihire, one of the great apps, or they're going to just make one their own. Yeah, which makes total sense. I mean, obviously, the watch, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the key probably use cases people use it for. Yeah, I use one. I think they're really helpful. Yeah, it's just a matter of understanding that as part of, part of your business. So maybe now is a good opportunity of Gary for you to introduce yourself and what, what's your specialty when it comes to the Apple watch and health kit and workouts? Sure. I began in um, 2014 and I, I'm self-taught. So traditionally I'm a, I'm an attorney. I went to school to be an attorney, went to law school, but I'm self-taught programmer. So when Swift was announced, that's when I jumped in. I had a little bit of coding experience before then but that was really when I started building apps and, um, you know, releasing products into the store. And over time I had, um, it was basically just because I had ideas. I had there existing things that I wanted to do with my phone that, that weren't possible. So I thought, well, I'll figure out how to do it and build it myself and, you know, help my own need. And then maybe if somebody else is interested, you know, make a dollar or two. So over time I've built uh, some weather apps, an app on top of the Pinterest SDK, a game based on the Twilight Zone. I'm a hockey player, and I think it was maybe two, two and a half years ago. I didn't even think about, you know, using my. I, I've I've had the Apple Watch since Series Zero, but I never really thought about using it in hockey. And then one of my teammates was using it in the locker room and said that, oh yeah, you could just start, you know, an Apple an Apple Watch workout app, and then at the end of it, you could label it as hockey, which to me, you know it was just kind of a generic workout and then you just kind of name it hockey. 
And I was like, hmm, I wonder if, um, you know, there's some space to build a custom hockey, hockey app. So the best thing I did, which really helped me, was I posted in a hockey player Reddit and said, hey, you know, I'm an, I'm an iOS developer. I've done watch app development before, and I had this idea. And I got a lot of support from that community. And I was able to build a beta version of the app and then use those same Reddit members to be uh, transition them into a Slack community where, you know, they're able to like, you know, give me feature ideas or give me feedback. And to this day, I still, you know, when I make a change in that app, I'll, I'll put up a poll in the Slack and have them vote on it. So it's user driven. And so that's really been my focus the last two years is that hockey tracker app is kind of my flagship. Um, I've also done one for soccer. So it's soccer tracker. And um, just most recently, another app called sex tracker, which is kind of the same along the same lines as tracking your metrics or, VO2 max and heart rates and that, but for intimacy. Interesting. That's is it mostly branding that separates the apps, or is it what are some of the like specific features that each app might have? Well, yeah, good example. So, for example, in hockey, you know, you have this concept of a shift, and then you also over time, I think there are eight or nine different session types. So. You know, you could use it as a goalie. You could use it for pickup, for an open skate. There's a coach mode. Um, there's a ref mode. And then you also, it, it was, my focus of, the, of these apps have always been health and fitness and metrics, but you could also add your score, score the game, how many goals you scored, how many assists, if you're a goalie, how many shots against and those sorts of things. And then there's a notes section. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is just, you know, hockey is kind of the algorithms that I built and everything are geared toward, you know, being on the ice. Again, those shifts, whereas soccer is, you know, more toward running. Um, you don't have shifts. Some of them are the same. I mean, they track distance, they track speed. I try to do a lot with heart rates. One of the big things, the big features over the past, well, I would say six months that I added is an effort level that's based on your time spent in the various heart rate zones. So if like, if my max heart rate is say 190 and you know i spend so so my top zone might be you know 170 to 190 and if i spend more time in that zone during the course of a game then my effort level is higher and things like that i mean you know there are only so many metrics you have but just different ways of sort of packaging them and sort of analyzing that data for the user very cool yeah i feel like there's so much potential with with health kit and, and workout stuff. And it's interesting, the story with the Apple Watch being we've gone from sending your friends heart heart rates, not heart rates, but what was it called? I can't remember. Like your, your heart heart beating to like now it's pretty much predominantly a workout app or workout device, I should say. And it's, it seemed like Apple's really starting to focus on that. Um, I made the leap. I foolishly made the leap to iOS 13 and watch OS 6 this week on my primary devices. So I'm a fool. Don't do that. Does it seem stable so far? Yeah, it seems fine. Okay. iOS 13 is by no means perfect, but there, <laughs> there's almost enough issues in iOS 12 where it's like, how bad can it be? And I'd already put it on my iPads and my spare iPhone and didn't have any major issues. So I was like, you know what? 
I'm just going to put it on the primary device. Let's just, usually it's not that big of a deal and it hasn't been. So now yesterday I was just playing around on the watch. They have that noise detection feature, which is really cool. Like, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but where like it'll detect if it's too loud and if it is uh, too loud, it, it will let you know uh, so that you don't damage your hearing over the long term. That's a pretty sweet feature. Like, I'm amazed that they'd finally, you know, it's like, I wish I had thought of that. So, yeah. And it, to me, just looking at some of the stuff with WWDC, I think the other thing that the writing is on the wall is that the watch is going to be an independent device. I don't know what your thoughts are, but it seems like that's where we're going, especially with the way we're trying to no longer do you have to have a watch app packaged as an iOS app extension, but now it can be packaged as a separate app, and now you get the app store and the watch and things like that. Yeah, but as far as the um, the independent watch apps, yeah, I mean, that's what I've really been thinking about that for the past few weeks and what that means and what type of opportunities that's going to present. I think just my existing apps and what they do might not be a great use case because, you know, they track... They use the watch to track and get your raw data, and they do display some UI. It's, but then the iPhone is just a bigger screen, and there's so much room to present, like we just talked about, you know, these charts of data. So I'm not sure that like those health and fitness apps are, are the best example. But one thing that immediately came to mind is one of my first ever apps was um, a commission. Like I, I do real estate law, so a commission calculator for a real estate agent. Because um, it was just a simple app that, that you know where you, you type in the sales price and it tells you, okay, well, the split with the buyer agent is maybe 3.5. And then maybe you pay a 20% referral to another agent. And then maybe your split with your broker is 50%. And I actually had to, this was the first iteration of the watch. So I actually had to build a calculator actually via the emoji um, digits. That's, that's how oh, I ended, nice. Yeah, that's how I ended up building it. But, you know, I, I, I got it working and everything on the watch. And then... I was like, oh, well, to ship this, I have to build this kind of, you know, just generic iPhone app and basically do the same thing that, you know, wasn't even the point of the app. The point was to have it on your watch. So something yeah. like that was a great example where, you know, they probably, I probably spent another week building the iPhone part of it that you wouldn't even need now. Yeah, I totally agree. I think when it comes to fitness apps, the watch is exclusively used for tracking and maybe like setting up a workout. A lot of the features of a typical workout or health app come from the fact that you can visualize it on the actual phone. Because, yeah, you can't really look at your reports on a on a watch very easily. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. It's also interesting with trying to make the watch independent. They're kind of, it seems like they're kind of not deprecating watch connectivity, but more like saying you really don't need it and. I don't know if they, they're trying to get you to kind of use CloudKit or some other server apparatus to communicate with the phone. Was that your impression? Yeah, that I had heard that as well. So maybe it's just implied, you know, that if you have an independent watch app, well, you wouldn't need to call out to the phone. To me, the devil is going to have to be in the details of that. Right. A quick example is my app's... Um, if you, for whatever reason, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a reason, um, as far as CPU use or something like that. But if you query HealthKit on the watch for the user's body mass, 
you only get anything they've entered within the past seven days. If you query it on the watch, you get, I mean, on the iPhone, you get as, as far back as health gets started. I use that. I use that body mass in some of my calculations. So that's an area where I use watch connectivity because I have to call out, you know, wake up the phone, make the phone query for the body mass, and then send it back to the watch. So, you know, for them, for them to deprecate watch connectivity for me, they need to update HealthKit to be able to make that full, you know, HealthKit call. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like how I think HealthKit, I'm just trying to think what else, but what other APIs you would want to directly connect with the iPhone with. But it seems like HealthKit would be the primary one where it's like the HealthKit data on the watch and the HealthKit data on the phone are not in sync. Right. Something else that came to mind. My apps currently don't do this, but if you want to put your watch app behind the paywall, there is no store kit on the watch. So if you want to check whether someone's, um, you know, subscription-based app, whether they their subscriptions expired or, or not, um, you need to use watch connectivity to that to call out to the phone and parse the receipt or something like that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be a ton of other... APIs we haven't even thought of where it's like you pretty much need direct connection to the phone. Right. What I'm going to guess is at some point they're just going to add an API to HealthKit or StoreKit so that you can do that stuff directly on the watch. One of the other things I could see is how paranoid they kind of are about battery usage. I could see that being an issue because if you need to directly connect with the server or to the cloud, you're going to need... It's going to need to use Wi-Fi or cell connection in order to do that. And you can't just depend on Bluetooth for it, uh, which I'm assuming that's what they want most apps to do is they'd rather they directly use Bluetooth as often as they can just to say battery, essentially. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, is it is it realistic to think of the watch as an independent, you know, an independent device that would substitute an iPhone? You know, I mean... Maybe you, you know, maybe in the future we'll have iPads where, you know, when we don't want to scroll through Instagram, but maybe, you know, Siri and um, maybe, you know, the watch plus AirPods, you know, would be robust enough that you could basically use voice dictation to basically do, you know, all the commands and all the input with text fields that you would normally do on your iPhone. I think that's where they like the direction to go, whether it's there now. Yeah, I'm not so sure. But I, I could I know there'd be people, you know, like I could see kids, especially being like just giving them a watch and no iPhone and doing it that way as sort of like an iPod touch substitute in a lot of ways. I have told people that that I think fifty years from now we'll be looked back as the generation that always, you know, had our head head down looking at our phone. And because <laughs> I think when, you know, glasses are finally a thing and it's just gonna seem to yeah, that we're cavemen, the way we walk around looking at our phones, <laughs> <laughs> like a like a like one of those like '80s shows where they have like the big ginormous uh, satellite right. phone in the car. Yeah, exactly. totally. Yeah, and I think like especially with the glasses, like the other thing, like totally outside of the subject of the Apple Watch, but like the other writing on the wall is like AR kit, AR kit, AR kit. Like they constantly want to talk about that every year. You can, can kind of tell, like, glasses or some sort of augmented reality display is, is on their horizon at some point. Yeah, I think a lot of us as iOS developers, I mean, I know I haven't delved into 
AR kit too much, but I think we're always kind of keeping it in the back of our heads because as soon as they announce the glasses, then there's going to be this huge opportunity and we're all going to become, you know, AR uh, experts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think the other thing, um, speaking of Swift UI, which is kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to WWDC, is uh, looking at like the use cases of Swift UI. I don't think, like we've kind of discussed, Swift UI isn't perfect everywhere. But where I think it's a really good fit is on the watch. Like, I think that is probably, if you're going to develop a watch app and you're going to develop a UI, it almost seems like Swift UI would be the first place to start. And rather than like a lot of people want to just jump to the Mac and build their perfect Mac app in Swift UI using Catalyst, I think honestly, like Swift UI is a good fit for the watch if there's anywhere else. That's what I was thinking too. It seems as far as the first place that you would want to like demo it, I think it would be a watch app. It's kind of, it reminds me of the stack view. If you remember how the stack view kind of started in WatchKit and then it was ported over to, to the iPhone. Yeah, exactly. The only thing that, and, and I'm sure I'm just, it's early days, but it's just hard to imagine given, you know, when you watch the demos, you know, how it's going to be as customizable as storyboards are. I mean, Storyboard is almost like like having you know an artboard in Sketch. I mean, you could basically literally make it look like anything. Whereas it seems like the Swift UI is pretty constrained. And again, I'm sure there's going to be a way. I just I'm interested how we're going to get there. Yeah, I'd almost say like the problem across the board with storyboards hasn't been that you can't do anything, but more of the responsiveness. And especially when you have like big development teams, storyboards end up being kind of a pain in the neck what we we did a podcast episodes a few weeks ago and uh it was the guys with the history of development and one of the terms that they kept using was source of truth source of truth and it was funny because then i watched wwdc and they're talking about swift ui and like they keep mentioning source of truth right. and i was like that's it that we've talked about that and like that's one of the issues with with storyboards is what you see isn't exactly matching up with what you're going to end up on your device and like as far as like previews i'm having issues right now but obviously it's in beta i think like that's where it's going to be super powerful is like your declarative ui is going to actually match up with what you see in the preview and it's actually going to match up with what you see on an actual device i think that's where where the real a lot of the benefits come from with swift ui is like it's actually consistent and actually works out whereas yeah dealing with auto layout, dealing with size classes. There's always a little bit of ambiguity that something isn't going to work out quite quite like you had thought. That was something else that maybe made sense to me. I have always heard, I've always heard, because obviously I'm an independent developer, so storyboards for, for me are great, but in a team environment with merge conflicts and that sort of thing, it can be tricky. But the other thing was, it makes sense to me. I don't, I don't know about you, Leo, but just lately, maybe the past year or so, I mean, I have a new MacBook Pro with 32 gig of memory, but some of my complex iPhone UI, um, where I have, you know, maybe stack views embedded five or six deep, and I get the beach ball just trying to move around a view. Yep. Yeah. I think maybe that's the other thing is that, you know, as, as we get even more complex than that, you're not going to be able to do that. And that's where Swift UI maybe makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And I was looking at somebody who's been testing out Swift UI versus just doing direct Cocoa touch stuff. And like, it is a lot faster based on some of the early stuff 
it just seems like it's much better at handling that. I don't know if they've somehow integrated metal in with it or what, but it seems like it's a lot more optimized as opposed to storyboards and some of the other st- older stuff in UI kit. Which makes sense. I mean, right, storyboards and interface builder date back to Next, and yep, I think it's it's built in XML, right? So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. XML, nobody has figured out how to crack. Yeah. (laughs) As you may have heard, I will be speaking at 360iDev in Denver on August 27th. If you're a developer in the Apple platform, you should highly consider attending this year. i360dev is a leading indie iOS, Mac, Apple Watch, and tvOS developer conference in the United States, and it's a great way to meet others in the community. Just go to 360iDev.com and use the promo code friends in high places to get 20% off. Again, that's 360idev.com and the promo code friends in high places. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. So, what like based on everything you saw at WWDC, what do you think is the difference or do you think there's been a big improvement or big a bigger opportunity now to develop apps for the Apple Watch uh, as opposed to like say a year or like two years ago. I think maybe the most interesting announcement was this Apple watch app store. And again, that's something that conceptually, I'm not sure how it will play out, whether people will want to buy or, you know, maybe it'll be like iMessage apps and how that, I don't think that's really caught on the way Apple thought it would. I mean, as far as from a developer's perspective, I don't know about you, but just anecdotally, it seems like everywhere I go, no matter what generation, I see more and more Apple watches. Yes, yeah, I don't yeah, know. that's I, definitely been the case over the last year or two. Yeah, and I don't know what their sales numbers are, but <laughs> it seems like they're doing well, and especially in the health and fitness. I mean, I think when you know when the Apple Watch was originally came out, we didn't really understand how it was going to be used. We thought maybe we'd want to read tweets and read Instagram and read Facebook on it. Turned out that wasn't the case. It's just that we right. want you know we want notifications from it, and we want to track our health and fitness. I mean, maybe there's yep. there's additional use cases that we're not thinking of. I think I'm fortunate in the health and fitness section sector, you know, that consumers are willing to download third-party apps for the watch. But I know a lot of people who, you know, are not in not as much in the health and fitness, they're pretty happy with just the Apple Watch's um, kind of stock apps. Yeah, and I also think you get a lot with the existing iOS notifications on the Apple Watch that you almost don't need a lot of custom apps as far as for notifications. Right. But then, you know, thinking ahead, now that you can build an independent watch app, you know, is there some use case? And with Swift UI, which is another thing to consider, I haven't played around with it yet on the watch, but it was a big limitation not having like a core graphics and those sorts of APIs on the watch that you could make, you know, sort of the beautiful graphics that you could on the, on the iPhone. So, you know, with independent watch apps, is there some use case that it's, it's still yet to surface that we're not thinking of that will be a, an opportunity for developers? Well, let's just look at like healthcare. Do you think that there's still a lot of room in healthcare and fitness for more apps? Obviously, like you've developed a set of apps for various specific workouts. Do you think that's going to continue to grow? I think so. I mean, if... <laughs> Just me personally, um, you know, and I have this line of tracking apps. I would like to reach out and cover all the sports. I mean, I know there's existing, there's a very good tennis tracking app on the tennis player. And I know there are golf apps, but um, I'm sure there's even more, 
you know, sort of obscure niche type sports. Um, in fact, I think a buddy, a friend of mine showed me one for um, kayaking. It was a, a good looking, you know, dedicated app to track your kayaking on your watch. So that's awesome. That's another thing is like, and I'm sure there's, you know, even sports more obscure than kayaking that I'm not thinking of. But <laughs> when your market is the world who does that activity, you know, I'm sure there's an opportunity there. And with more and more owners of the Apple Watch, you're going to find a cross-section of folks who are owners of the Apple Watch who play those obscure sports we don't think about. Exactly. Like another area I would like to get into next is, you know, football, lacrosse, those types of sports. But but yeah, that's probably more resolution, I guess, is how to look at that. You know, it's kind of you, the first line of apps were the run trackers. But now, you know, they're starting to get into those more obscure sports. Something that just popped into my head is, is there a like a B2B or a commercial space for the watch? I don't know if there's any. Yeah, I don't know if there's right. anything like this now. But I remember um, my uncle works in the accessibility field. And I told him just an idea I had about if you had, say, like a, um, a non-sighted um, employee and you could use the watch you know, to get them to their desk every day, you know, if it's a big building or something like that, just as an example. And you might be, you might be able to do that with existing accessibility. Yeah. I've had this discussion with, with other developers, uh, just how like the haptic feedback stuff isn't really taken advantage of on the watch. And that would be a, a great example of that is like being able to feel kind of where you are, where you're located. Um, it seems like it would be a good fit. I think like with B2B, yeah, location stuff, anything having to do with GPS would be helpful on the Apple Watch besides, of course, health and fitness and anything where you need like more advanced notifications. That would be really convenient on the Apple Watch. And I'm just trying to think what other industries could really take advantage of having such a small, convenient device like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I remember, too, I was treated about a year ago, I actually, ironically enough, broke my ankle playing hockey. <laughs> but my doctor had an Apple Watch, and I asked her about it. And she said she mostly used it for you know her calendar. But um, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know much about you know how hospitals work, but you know maybe if the nurses or the PAs you know could track where that doctor is, what room she's in, you know maybe that would be helpful or something like that. Yeah, what's that term called for like indoor GPS? Because that's definitely, mm-hmm. I think, something that's going to continue to grow. I, I wish I could remember what that term is called. But yeah, I think that, that would be another spot. Or yeah, and then you got something having to do with beacons. I don't even know if that API is still open at all, but there's a lot that can be done in those areas. Have you seen anything as far as WWDC is concerned when it comes to other updates to HealthKit or fitness or new APIs with workouts? Yeah, I'll be honest. I was actually moving. I went through a move in the week of WWDC, so I wasn't watching it live. And then I went in after and looked at all the videos, and I was like, okay, let me check out all the health kit videos. And there was one. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> wow. I, you know, because last year, I think there was like six. The year before, yeah. there was like five. I yeah, was, I was I expecting that whole, that, I did that whole blog post about how workout right. sessions work, and it's like there was a, there was a lot of big improvements last year to, to workouts and health, health kit. Well, I think that's good, though. You know, as a developer, you get a little bit of time to breathe and not have to play catch up so much this year. But um, so it's that it's the class on, um, I know, HK Quantity Series Sample Builder 
is in it and it talks about sequencing. So I've watched that a few times and I don't, I think it's just sort of, um, it's sort of tweaks as far as sort of the resolution. I, th- I think their, their, their example is if you're querying for heart rates, traditionally, every heart rate object has the device type on it. Whereas if you now use this HK quantity series, you can just get the timestamp and the value and not have to get that redundant device type every time was the, their example that they used. But yeah, I think overall that from a health kit point of view, the big changes were last year and this year is kind of a catch up year. Yeah, I agree. As far as like the workout stuff, I think it's more pushing folks to build apps for a future where the Apple Watch is essentially not no longer needed with, with an iPhone at the same time. And I think that's the big emphasis. And then of course Swift UI. Like basically overhauling the way, you know, the use of WatchKit for building the UI. I think that was the big message this year with WWDC and the watch. One thing that has sort of been a, a maddening problem for me as a third party developer is that you cannot modify an HK workout. You um you know, if you because every HK workout has, you know, it's associated data, it's you know, it's distance. Heart rates actually are not associated with a workout, but it's distance, it's calories. But then it also has met- metadata, which you could basically package anything you want in that metadata. But you can't modify a workout. And I'm sure Apple has their reasons. But what you're forced to do this dance anytime, you know, say the, the user wants to add a note to a workout. Well, I have to make a copy of the current workout, add the new note field to it, save that new updated workout and delete the old one. And just, I'm not sure why, but um, you, you get a, a lot of errors back from Apple. It's an object. It's, it's actually object failed to find object for deletion whenever you try to delete it. And I've had that problem for a long time. And if you Google around Strava, I think has the exact same problem because users complain in, on iOS about duplicate workouts. And that's really, I think what the problem is, is because when you try to add something to a workout or, or resave it and you don't delete the old, you end up with a duplicate. So that was something that I was kind of hoping to get solved. And if, if I ever, ever, would ever attend WWDC, that would be a great question for a lab. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, there was nothing that I heard that would solve that issue for me. What do you see as other APIs that you think are missing for the Apple Watch or specifically HealthKit? I think HealthKit's very robust. I'm excited about where they're going as far as the integration of, um, you know, they're partnering with some of the bigger hospitals, and now you can pull down your data from your providers now into oh, the HealthKit wow. app. Okay. Yeah, and as a third-party developer, you know, to me, there's there's opportunity there because now you have actual help. Obviously, you have to be sensitive with it, and obviously, Apple's going to require the appropriate authorizations. But provided you get it, you could probably there's probably amazing use cases, you know, and, and opportunities for third third party developers. But one thing that is limiting, I think, is that it is only available on the iPhone and the watch. So when we talk about, you know, Marzipan, to me that was never super realistic about it because until HealthKit is available on the Mac or on the iPad, you know, I can't really build my apps on those platforms. How is HealthKit stuff? I always I'm uncertain. Is some health kit stuff in the cloud or is it all on device or how does that work exactly? It's cloud-based. Okay, it is cloud-based. It's at a high level. So technically it would be feasible to 
have that data available on the Mac or on an iPad? Well, I think the problem is, I mean, just like, you know, nuts and bolts from a developer, you couldn't open up. Oh, well, just on the iPad, for example, you have to, before you perform your authorization, you have to make sure the device, the health kit is available. And that's that's where you would fail on the iPad. Right. And then I'm not even sure, you know, under under AppKit, how it w- would work. But I would guess, like, you know, you'd go to import HealthKit and they would find no module, <laughs> you know, or something like that. But, I mean, like, they don't have, like, the data is in the cloud. It's just a matter of them providing some sort of library module or framework, essentially, to, to access that data. Right. Maybe that's underway and, you know, we just haven't heard about it. But it's obviously a big part of Apple's, um, you know, APIs. So when they talk about wanting to, you know, with one click, push apps from the iPad to to the Mac, it seems like it's a big segment of apps that they could, you know, with just an easy tweak on their end, make that data available. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Because I know my users would love, I mean, think about it, on a 12.9-inch iPad Pro to see, you know, your data from your workout graph, it would be beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking is, like, you want to see that, that data on the iPad, maybe Mac would be the next spot, maybe the web. And I think it would be great to have that stuff available because it's visualization. That's where a lot of this workout stuff is is super helpful is being able to visualize it uh, and see it. Do you think that there's going to be a new watch this year? That's a good question. So we just had the Series 4. I guess that was last year. Yeah. I'm not sure their release cycle is. Does it seem like it's every two years? Is it? Okay. I think just improving the sensors. I know sometimes like, you know, my users, for example – They'll say, hey, um, you know, I had a on, you know, I was playing soccer and it said I ran 35 miles per hour. And I don't think that's possible and, you know, <laughs> say, well, my app isn't really taking the, you know, taking the reading. It's the Apple Watch sensors. And, you know, we're still at the infancy of wearable technology. So I think over time, the sensors will just get more accurate. I don't know if it's ever been thought about, but just a simple use case. I've always wanted to know, like, either body temperature or room temperature, you know, adding a thermometer in the watch. I agree completely. I think that would be great. Humidity, stuff like that. Because I think they a lot of it, they think, oh, you can just depend on like the web to kind of tell you the local temperature. But, yeah. Like sometimes it's nice to have room temperature and like body temperature and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you can go down the whole rabbit hole of like all those sensors, like diabetes, I think is a super huge market. I think that they want to crack. We know that there's been reports about that. And some of the other stuff, like blood alcohol levels, I could see them working on that somehow without having to, you know, do anything <laughs> to poke to poke a person, uh, essentially. That's actually something I'm very interested in. And I think it's sort of like the glasses, you know, whenever that is able to get, you know, whenever technology is able to catch up there, we are able to sort of access the blood. I mean, obviously, Theranos is in everybody's mind, but if, <laughs> if something akin to Theranos, but was, you know, actually worked, you know, it could be possible. Not just smoke and mirrors. Right, exactly. And it wouldn't surprise me if Apple, you know, was the first one to figure it out. If there's some way that you could, you know, just get enough blood to be able to analyze, I just think, to me, that's where healthcare, that's where the future is going to be, is that I don't think cancers were necessarily going to, you know, quote unquote, cure it. But I think if we have 24-7 monitoring of blood markers like the instant that that cancer begins to develop if you could start to treat for it instead of having to wait 
six months for your next checkup. You know, I think that's really where we'll start to be able to fight these diseases better. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think that's kind of where the long tail future, the long term future of the Apple Watch will be, is a lot of that other health kit stuff that's so, so important to people's daily lives. Gary, thank you so much for coming on. Anything else you want to talk about before we close out? The only other thing I had in my notes was I haven't got to watch it yet, but just looking through the net site, I said I'll post in the notes, but it was a talk called Good Developer Habits. It looks really good. So I'm excited to check that out. Yeah, that sounds awesome. We'll post that in the notes as well. Are you on Twitter or how can people get a hold of you? Sure. My company is MindArk LLC. So if, if you wanted to check out any of my apps, you can just go Google the app store and MindArk, M-Y-N-D-A-R-C. And then I'm at Gary Sable on Twitter. Awesome. And then if folks want to get a hold of me, you can find my company at BrightDigit, BrightDigit.com. It's at BrightDigit on Twitter and Instagram and BrightDigit on Facebook. I am looking for new contract work. So if you are a company that needs help with building a custom iOS app or a watch app, especially in the way the Apple Watch has been growing and becoming more and more powerful, definitely reach out to me. You can reach me, Leo, at brightdigit.com. Gary, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Leo. Yeah.